0: At any rate, it seems, I've lost my religion. I put no stock in religion. By the word
1: religion, I've seen the lunacy of fanatics of every denomination be called the will of God.
0: I've seen too much religion in the eyes of too many murderers. Holiness is in right action and courage on behalf of those who cannot defend themselves. And goodness. God desires is here and here. And what you decide to do every day, you'll be a good man. Or not.
1: Welcome back to a brand new episode of not to bomb podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically or didn't fare too well with critics. Brad episode one sixty-seven. uh, just you and I tonight, what did you decide to pick for our conversation?
0: I picked the 1995 historical drama kingdom of heaven, 95 speci- or sorry, 2005. I was yes, like, wow, 2005. I watched the wrong one, <laughs> the wrong one, uh, 2005. <laughs> And more specifically, we picked the director's cut. And more, and more specifically, we picked the roadshow cut, which has like a beginning musical number and intermission, and then a closing.
1: Yeah. So that's the only difference between the roadshow and the director's cut is it gives it a presentation that's very similar to would would you say like old Hollywood? So stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I know we talked about this before. I got to see Spartacus in the in the theater at the Continental. I think it was in Denver. And and they did that whole thing where you have uh, you know an orchestral prelude, the movie intermission. Did they
0: do the Did they do the live band for that one, or was it? No, yeah, it just, was
1: it was I a did. seventy millimeter print. But we okay. this isn't our first movie that we that we've had that presentation before, right? The black hole had it, I think.
0: That's right, it did. Okay. Yes. How can we forget the black hole?
1: I love that film. I know you weren't as excited about it, but uh, I thought it would be interesting because we've, we've had a lot of cool shows lately where we've watched the director's cut or we've talked about a director's cut and how it might improve the film. But I I was, before we talk about this one, I was wondering, did you have any director's cuts that when you went back and saw it, you preferred the original version better, or maybe you thought the, the director not necessarily killed the original vision, but, what, whatever they added to it just didn't add to the film. I didn't know if you had a couple.
0: I did. Um, and I'm just going to exclude uh, Star Wars, the original, uh, when George Lucas <laughs> went back and did the special editions. In 1997. I, exclu- I, I will exclude those because that was the first time I saw Star Wars in the theater. So they hold a little bit of a of a special place in my heart. But can, I did have can one. I ask, ex- can I ask okay. you about those real quick? Sure.
1: Okay, so he went back in '97 and uh, added footage and enhanced the special effects for the the original trilogy. Do you not like anything of those three, or do you do you not like one? You're okay with another one. I mean, is it no on all three of them, or no on just one or two?
0: the new hope one I think is the worst. The job of the hut thing really bothers me a lot. Yeah. Um, Yes. I think that's the one that stands out the most. The other ones I don't think fundamentally really change anything, but introducing job of the hut in new hope is an odd choice. I I, I think I would say, and uh, I don't like it. And of course there's a problem with the whole scene because Han Solo is walking around job of the huts (laughs) and, we've come to learn that he's a big slug and yes. um, No, I I think that one is the one that really stands out to me the most. The ones for empire and return, I don't think are as egregious. I know a lot of the stuff for return is within the beginning part at Jabba's palace with the dancers and the songs. Um, They kind of mess some of that stuff up as well, but the job of the hut in new hope is the thing that bothers me the most.
1: Yeah, but again, Empire is probably the only one I don't mind so much.
0: Yeah. I, I actually
1: yeah. like some of the cleanup they did on the Hoth sequences. I think it looks better. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the New Hope and Return of the Jedi, I can't stand. But Empire, I I, I don't mind. I, I actually don't mind watching the special edition because of how much better Hoth looks with what they cleaned up um, and some of the matting effects and stuff like that versus everything else.
0: I... I was able to track down. I didn't. Someone gave, let's just say someone gave them to me, the uh, these specialized yes. versions yep. on Blu ray. And I, I tend to watch those more often, but there's it, a
1: grindhouse version out there. Have you seen those? Ooh, no, I haven't. Yeah, they're really cool. You need to, okay, you need to, you need to track. Well, you need to have somebody gift those yeah. to you. Uh, and and they're just, uh, it, it's taking the, Despecialized specialized versions, but giving them a grindhouse feel. They're, they're really cool.
0: Yeah. So the first one that really comes to mind that I think is, it makes the film arguably way worse. And I think it adds about 20 minutes to the runtime and that's Donnie Darko. Um, oh, when, okay. it, when it comes to the mystery part of Donnie Darko, that's kind of the best part of it. And if I remember correctly, the director's cut kind of explains a lot more of that. Yeah. And really changes, like fundamentally changes the film. And I tend to hate it. I usually, so I usually tend to like the director's cut because I like to see maybe not the original director's vision, because Mm -hmm. I don't think anything is on their like original vision, but it's close to what they think they can cobble together to make their vision come to life. Um, looking at things like Watchmen is an example, even, I mean, I don't really like it, but the Schneider cut of, um, justice Batman, league
1: or Batman versus Superman.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That one and the, uh, justice league. I, I mean, I think those are superior films. Um, they're okay. not great, but they're better. Um, but I think Donnie Darko is the prime example that they they like fundamentally changed the film. And I, I I think it's worse for it. Okay.
1: Did you have another one?
0: Oh yes. And then the hobbits, all the hobbit films, all the directors (laughs) cut because they're way longer and they just drag out that book even further. And I don't think any of the sequences are like really that important. It's like you cut the stuff for a reason because this film, these films uh, were already bloated enough. Um, did those you, were, those were the ones that
1: feel that way about the Lord of the Rings. Extended I didn't see editions? that's the
0: thing. I don't feel that way about the Lord of the Rings because those books are so dense that I feel like a lot of the editions helped it, uh, quite a bit, but in the Hobbit, I mean, the Hobbit's a shorter story yeah, and they still stretch it out to, I mean, it's almost 12 hours with the director's cut. It's, it's too much.
1: Okay. I like, I like those picks. I agree with both those picks a hundred percent. Um,
0: and the I, Rob Zombie stuff, the Rob Zombie uh, Halloweens are even worse. So
1: oh go. man, I no. we we got to find time to talk about Halloween Two, mm-hmm. Rob Zombie's Halloween Two. I, I will go on record now and say I feel entirely different about that film when you get to the director's cut. But okay, um, okay. I, I've I've got two films as well. I hope you agree with one. The other one I might get in trouble with the internet on. I might be in the minority on this one. But but the first one to me is a no brainer. So one of my favorite films from the 70s is The Warriors from 1979, um, Mm -hmm. Walter Hill's film. So back in 2005, he released something that he called the ultimate director's cut. I don't know if you ever picked this thing up. I do have it. Yeah. So the the worst thing that he did about it is he turned The Warriors into pretty much a comic book presentation. Um, I don't know if you remember that, the panels and everything else. Yep totally, in my opinion, just undermines that entire film, especially in its look, aesthetics, everything else. And I know Walter Hill. I mean, there's there's good special features on that release, especially as it really does a deep dive into what the inspiration is with the, um, the Greek stories, et cetera. But, man, talk about totally ruining, in my opinion, what is just a gorgeous film from the late 70s with all this comic book shtick in it. Uh, I, I think it's one of the worst crimes against a movie uh, I've seen in a long time. Yep. Okay. So here's the one that I think a lot of people may not agree with me on. And it goes back to a director's cut that was released on Laserdisc in 1991. Okay. So this is pre-DVD even. And I'm, I'm talking about 1986's Aliens. Oh, okay. So... I like most of the additions and and what's done with that. But here's my big thing with the director's cut. The you you get most of the story in the beginning told through Ripley's um, character. And when she wakes up, finds out it's been X amount of years. And then there's this big reveal that that planet's been colonized. They've lost contact. She has to go back to it there's this whole mystery of what's going to be on that planet. The director's cut, I think takes that out a little bit because if I remember correctly, there was a scene with Newt's family going through and investigating that, that spacecraft where they found everything.
0: Oh yeah. So
1: it kind of takes the mystery out of the, the beginning. And I've always kind of preferred the theatrical cut of aliens over the director's cut simply because of that, w- w- that first section of the story. Like yeah. I, I think it does a better job of creating a mystery and uh, you not knowing what you're going to find on that planet. And you're kind of uh, just learning things at the same moment as that character. As
0: the characters.
1: Yeah. And and again, I, I don't hate it, but it's one of those that if I'm going to sit down and watch aliens, I'm probably going to watch the theatrical cut more than the director's cut. Cause I, I just think that's a better presentation of that story, especially in the beginning.
0: Yeah. What do you think of the, uh apocalypse now redux uh i
1: i really do enjoy that
0: really okay
1: yeah i I, and it's been a while but i i think it's because when they did that they showed it in the theater and that was the first time i got to see apocalypse now in the theater
0: same to see that's that's why i like it because it's the first time i saw apocalypse now in the theater as well yeah it's hard to separate that stuff
1: it is sometimes a viewing experience because
0: I mean, they added like well like almost an hour to the runtime.
1: Yeah, that and that probably. I mean, if I if I were to sit down and watch the theatrical cut versus the director's cut, not in a the theatrical experience, I might have a different feeling about it. Mm-hmm. But that one, I've always really enjoyed the extra stuff in it
0: because right, I think the director's cut's over two hundred minutes long.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a <laughs> These lot. These directors, they they like to take. Um, their footage and just go crazy with it. And and we'll talk about some of the big differences in here, because when we talk about kingdom of heaven um, and when it was released, it, it didn't fare so well, but it got a much warmer reception when Ridley Scott went back and revisited it. And it, and and let's be honest here, a lot of director's cuts or things that you say, Oh, here's something that's X amount of minutes longer. It's usually an extension of a scene. Um, there, you know, <laughs> I would say since the advent of Laserdisc, specifically Criterion, et cetera, you get a lot of special features and a lot of extra things that a director can go back and add to their film. But it is rare for a director to step back into that world and really reshape it and add a bunch of stuff to it that just makes it an entirely different um, viewing experience where there's new scenes, new subplots, everything else. Kingdom of Heaven is one of those. There's an entirely um, whole subplot in here that was just left out of the theatrical. But I think Ridley Scott's known for that. I mean, look at how many times he's released Blade Runner.
0: Blade right? Runner. Yeah, I was going to say Ridley Scott is, is no uh, – this isn't a new thing for him.
1: Yeah. So let's go back to 2005, not 1995. Not
0: 1995,
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> thank you, sorry. To talk about when um, this thing came to the theaters and, and what kind of reception it had.
0: Yeah, so released May 6th of 2005 with a reported budget of $130 million. Troy, I will say this. I think you can see all $130 million on the screen. Yeah, especially
1: one. in the back half there.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, total box office run. We have a domestic return of $47.3 Ouch. million. So not even getting to like the $50 million mark. Um, internationally it fares a little bit better with 170. And its grand total is two hundred and eighteen point one million dollars. Again, that's on a budget of one thirty. So you're hoping you get like two fifty to break even, maybe two, I don't know what they're you know, yeah marketing and I know aver- it lost
1: money, but it didn't it didn't like sink the company. So yes. yeah.
0: And we also have to bring up another stream at this time of revenue would have been DVD. Mm-hmm. And this thing was a big DVD seller, especially because of all the releases, all the cuts and stuff. Yeah, so. that's
1: uh when we get to it and we talk about the four disc DVD of the director's cut and everything, that thing even won awards uh upon its release. So it 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 made some change on the on yeah. the home media market.
0: Yeah. Um, opening weekend, we do have a number one film this week. So Kingdom of Heaven is number one. Oh, that's 19.6. <laughs> yeah. $19.6 <laughs> million. So May in 2005, the biggest film of the first week of May would have been Kingdom of Heaven with 19.6. Like that doesn't sound like a lot of money to me. No, not, not for May, but. No. Summer blockbuster. So number two was uh, House of Wax. Three was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Crash, uh, The Inter, or the Interpreter. Uh, number six was Triple X, State of the Union. Oh, of course. Seven was Sahara. Eight, The Amityville Horror. Nine, I a Lot Like Love. And then number 10 was Fever Pitch.
1: I think I saw everything. I, th- I think I saw all those at the theater. I except saw, maybe a, lot, Fever I saw Pitch.
0: a lot of those. Not yeah. in the theater, but I've seen a lot of all yeah. actually all of this. Kingdom of Heaven also does not fare well with the critics. It sits at 39%, but much better with the audience at 72%. Again, they are uh, reviewing the theatrical cuts of this. Um, Now, the audience could have kind of retroactively seen the director's cut and given Kingdom of Heaven a little bump there as well. So it's hard to... I I think... And and correct me if I'm wrong, Choi, if if you disagree, I think Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is when people say, oh, the director's cut is much better. I think Kingdom of Heaven is the one of the first examples people people give.
1: Yes, Uh, I I would agree. I'm surprised how many people still have not visited the director's cut, though. Um, Yeah, even in our circle, I'm not going to name names of people who've been on the show before, <laughs> um, specifically a couple of of fellows who show up often who have not watched the director's cut, but we're not saying names. Yes. So, but you could probably figure it out if you were to go back at, at, to the episodes ago, well, who's been on the show the most? Yeah. Yeah, those two.
0: We're calling them out. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so a group of people who saw this film and do not like it and have some mm-hmm. problems with some of its contents... Is our good buddies over at movieguide.org. For those not familiar, movieguide.org is a film review website that reviews films not for their quality, but for their content.
1: So they Each- didn't like a movie about the Crusades. Yes. Big surprise. Okay.
0: Uh, what would you think Kingdom of Heaven would sit on their plus four to minus four uh, scale? I Look.
1: I, in, in reading about this film, watching some of the special features, I mean, the the two disc Blu-ray set that's out there now, pretty cheap, is impressive. I did not know there was a lot of controversy surrounding the historical accuracy of it, as well as its depiction of certain religions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb here and say negative four.
0: It is a negative four. Yeah. Kingdom of Heaven. And then the subtitle is Anti-Christian Revisionist History. Yeah. <laughs> and their nutshell content is minus four. Intentional blasphemy, evil, gross, immorality, and or worldview problems. <gasps> oh, hey, you ready to take you are are you ready to take like a 40-year journey through the desert? Because this review is epic. Oh,
1: please, please tell me that the grammar isn't as atrocious as it's it's Better? not great. Okay. Sorry. Right.
0: Okay. We got very strong anti-Christian worldview that presents a very strong revisionist history where Christians are, re- re- pro- I'm sorry, Christians are portrayed as Muslims in their theology and Muslims are portrayed as Christians, thus extolling false religious views of Islam further marred by strong negative attitude against organized religion including some anti-Christian and anti-Muslim content and works righteous theology depicted as kind of a modern reinterpretation of knighthood and chivalry with strong revisionist history concerning two of the male Christian leaders associated with uh Latin kingdom of Jerusalem
1: uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: concerning one of the man's man's wife, and concerning Christian church leaders, yeah, including the patriarch of Jerusalem, who is shown in a negative light that is historically false, a couple crude references to fathering illegitimate children, very strong action involving sword fighting, cavalry charges, and Sadin's final successful siege of Christian G- Jerusalem in 11... 11-
1: they didn't uh, point out somebody getting chopped in half at one point or
0: we're we're, we're getting, okay, uh, right. including blood spurting at least three stabs in the neck with blood shown boiling or oil poured on soldiers, yep. fiery catapult ammunition sets buildings and people on fire. Protagonist burns and kills priests, uh, who decapitated his beloved wife's. Oh, uh, oh, desecrate, who desecrated his beloved wife's grave. Uh, uh I'm just trying to skip some of this stuff that doesn't that kind of spoil it uh implied adultery against uh couple shown embracing yeah upper male nudity yep drinking wine um that drinking, drinking this, wine is bad I know didn't God didn't, turn water into wine Jesus like
1: ordered water yeah. everywhere and turned it into wine for yeah. his posse so
0: okay. this, this one's a new one to me Troy dissension amongst Christian Crusaders and moviegoers in favor of Christians, Muslims, and Jews to stop fighting over the holy site in the holy land, but to share the land together in peaceful coexistence.
1: So that's That's bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) Oh, boy.
0: (laughs) Okay. And last but not least, films you could have seen May of 2005. We have House of Wax, Danny the Dog. Oh, Jet Li. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that called Unleashed? Unleashed. Unleashed. Yeah um kicking and screaming monster in law and the big film speaking of star wars star wars episode three revenge of the sith on its way to 848 million dollars oh madagascar also that week or that month and the longest yard
1: oh okay the remake cool well the uh the discussion over the people who made this film both behind the camera in front of the camera's probably give me a little uh, quick this week because we've talked about a lot of these people. So let's start with director Ridley Scott. We we've talked about him a lot, you know, for, for a guy that I think we love his filmography, he's going to show up on the show a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just, just to kind of give everybody a little bit of context of where this film sits in his filmography. Gladiator was 2000 so he was Oscar nominated for best director for that film. He didn't win, but gladiator did win best picture. He
0: mm-hmm.
1: followed that up in 2001 with Hannibal same year, black Hawk down in 2001 match stick men in 2003. Then we get kingdom of heaven in 2005. And then he follows this film up with a good year in 2006. We've 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 talked about his filmography and our, our love for him. I, I just had one question for you on Ridley Scott why do you think he's a hit or miss director from the box office perspective? It's it seems like he some of his films are might be ahead of its time.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I don't know if that's the case, but uh for as many hits as he has and accolades within his filmography, he has a lot of films that detract from that legacy as well. Is what do you think that is? Is it him or is it just the fickleness of the public?
0: It might be but I think sometimes he gets caught up in trying to do the same thing, well, as the audience would perceive it as doing the same thing again. Okay. So he he comes out, say in 1979 and does Alien. Huge horror sci-fi film. Kind of reinvents
1: you know, kind of everything, the,
0: right? Yeah, kind of sets the template for like outer space horror. Yeah. Then he comes and does 1982, he does Blade Runner, which is another like groundbreaking film. But it's, again, heavy sci-fi, has some space elements in it, and it's like, I don't know, like the audience might have been like, kind of like he's trying to do it again in a way. Because I look at Kingdom of Heaven, clearly, I think it's him being inspired by Gladiator and doing something a little bit different, but still doing that sword and sandals again. Mm -hmm. Only five years later. And to most people like gladiator probably hung around for a long time. Oh yeah. And so gladiator might've been the last Ridley Scott film they saw. And then they see, Oh, kingdom of heaven. He's doing the same thing again. To me, I, I just feel like he has a lot of films that feel sort of samey when you're looking at them on the outside. Now, I, I think a lot of his films are are vastly different. Like this thing is vastly different from, from gladiator. You can see that the same person made Gladiator, made Kingdom of Heaven, so I think that to me is sort of his deal where he's got these big hits, and he kind of feels like he's chasing it. I don't think he is doing it. I just think that's the perception from the general audience. Because yeah. even like something like Prometheus, I don't feel like was was like the. I mean, I know it made a lot of money, and it it. it but I, I felt like that was going to even be bigger. I, I don't know. It just feels like. His films should always be bigger and they're not. I I,
1: I agree. I, I I'm always wondering if he chooses a topic, a screenplay, or something of that nature, and he's just a few years ahead of when that should be released. Mm-hmm. Uh like the, the public has to catch up with him in some regards.
0: I feel like he's like the John Carpenter of kind of bigger budget films.
1: No, that's a good comparison. Yeah. He's got uh, some just huge hits. And when he hits, I mean, it's spectacular. But then even the misses, I think, are super interesting. And it takes a while for uh, the, the the moviegoers to catch up with him in some regard.
0: Yeah, I feel like people are now just coming around and being like, actually, that Hannibal movie is pretty good.
1: Yeah, or, or even The Last Duel when we talked about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people miss that thing. But when they go back and revisit it, you still have some detractors and go, nope, didn't, didn't care for that, et cetera. But I, I feel like if you like Ridley Scott – even when he misses from a narrative perspective, he's, he's still fantastic at the world building. He's, he's yes. always fantastic at, at least presenting some interesting ideas within his films. Um, while, you know, you could question the success of, of that. Right. But yep. uh, and we should
0: note he's 85 years old. He's releasing another film this year, Napoleon, and I believe another film after that. Um, so he's still, Still doing his thing at 85 years old. Yeah. Gladiator two is scheduled for 2024. So Which is still crazy doing thing. that
1: they are yeah. doing a sequel, but okay. Uh screenplay by William Monahan. So kingdom of heaven was his first one, but listen to this. He does this and follows it up the next year and wins an Oscar for his screenplay for the departed in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, goes on to do things like body of lies in 2008. He's still working. His most recent thing, which I have not seen, I haven't heard great things about it, but it was 2022's Marlowe. So yeah,
0: it's a neo-noir film. It's not great. Oh, did you see it? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Liam Neeson.
1: Okay. Well, in this name's popped up a few times. So Cinematography by John uh, Mathiason. We've talked about him, episode 38, Man from Uncle, uh, which came out in 2015, and then he also showed up a few episodes later on episode 43 when we talked about 47 Ronin. Mm. So wow,
0: this guy's a, uh, a three timer on our show.
1: Yeah, we got to go back. This will take time and neither of us have it. We need to find out how many of these uh, folks we've actually talked about have been on the show like more than five times or worked on mm. movies that we talked about. Start sending them like a gift card or something for being <laughs> so cool. Uh, so in front of the camera stacked cast stacked. We'll mention a few names. We're, we're trying not to spend a lot of time just, um, reading who did stuff. Cause I, I think you can find that on IMDB if you're, you're really interested.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I want to have a conversation about a couple of people in front of the camera and specifically, um, let's call them our two protagonists. Okay. So Orlando Bloom plays, uh, Balian. From a filmography standpoint, he hits, uh, some highs, with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise and The Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. So where yep. this sits in his filmography, he comes off Return of the King in 2003. He does another big epic in 2004, Troy. Same year, he does a film called Haven. Does Kingdom of Heaven in 2005. Somewhat of a financial bomb. Has another bomb that same year, I think. Elizabethtown, Cameron Crowe's Elizabethtown. Yep. Uh and then the following year goes back to the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise with Dead Man's Chest. What are your what are your thoughts on Orlando Bloom in terms of an actor or even the stuff that he's kind of chosen to do?
0: Troy, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not a not a big fan of Orlando Bloom. You don't like Legolas? I I mean, he's fine as Legolas. Um he is a he's a secondary character in Lord of the Rings and I think Orlando Bloom should stay as a secondary character in films. I think he is not a leading man. I think he has zero charisma. He's a like a good-looking person and they and when yeah. you see him you're like, "Oh,
1: well, he's not a boxer dropper." Let's be honest. He's oh, no I mean, Henry Cavill. I think,
0: I think women would disagree with you and I might disagree with you. Okay. Um but I just I just don't think he is a leading man. Um not to spoil any thoughts on Kingdom of Heaven, but I think Part of the reason why it doesn't work is because Orlando Bloom is the lead character and it just <laughs> doesn't seem to do much for me. No, I, I don't, I don't like him very much. Um, I'm trying to think of something where he was the guy and I was like, Oh, cool. I really like Orlando Bloom as the guy and I can't think of anything.
1: I, I'm with you hundred percent. I love him in these supporting roles. I, I do think he's fantastic in Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I think he's fantastic in Lord of the Rings. I don't think he has leading man material um, in terms of his acting chops, charisma. Uh, he, I mean, he doesn't have that it factor to carry a film for two hours, and let,
0: every, let alone three hours and 15 let, minutes.
1: Yeah, let alone uh, an epic like this. But I, when when he's cast with a good supporting. Um, it's a good supporting role and somebody else is taking the lead. I like him a lot, but yeah, everything you said, I agree 100%. So let's, let's turn our attention to Eva green as a uh, Sibalia. Is that how you, Sibalia? I can't Sibalia. remember. Sibalia. Okay. So the dreamers, 2003, uh, Bernardo Bertolucci film. I think that's where I first, um, mm-hmm. was like, Oh, who's that? Then she does a film. In two thousand four, um, Arson and Lupin, I, I think it's French. Look, full disclosure: uh, I got a D in French, so I don't really like that language very much. Uh, and even learning Italian right now, still, still trying. It's tough. Yeah,
0: Jean Paul uh, Somalier or whatever—I forget what that guy's last name is. But yep, have you seen that film?
1: Nope. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's not on my radar. So it's cr-
0: it's like like a crime. I think you actually would like it. Oh, so I would.
1: Like okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she does Kingdom of in two thousand five, but it's the following year with Casino Royale in two thousand six that I think she becomes a star. Is that accurate?
0: Absolutely. Okay. When she comes on in in, in Kingdom in uh, Casino Royale, it is um, seeing her and Daniel Craig on screen at the same time. It's uh, a little. Too, it's a little too. My heart was wanting to beat out of my chest. They they are
1: a powerhouse couple, man. It's, it's steamy. I like them. Yep. Yep. Uh, so what's your general thoughts on her? You do like her. I mean, okay. We both don't like Orlando bloom as a leading Mm -hmm. man. What do you think of her as a leading actress?
0: Um, I kind of wish she did more. She's an actress that does pretty much like one film a year. Mm -hmm. Um, if that's, um, and then sometimes it's not, they're not great. Like I saw where she was in like films, like perfect, perfect sense, which, you know, is like a sci-fi romantic film is with you and McGregor. I, uh, like, I, I want to like her and I think she's good. Um, but I wish she did more and I, I don't, she's so good in a casino royale. You'd think. Oh, this this woman is going to be an actor that I'm going to see everywhere, and you don't see that. Um, I mean, she's the best part of Sin City: A Dame to, to Kill For. Um,
1: I I would say she's the best part of that 300 sequel too.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes, the Rise of the of an Empire. Yes, yes. you're right. Um, um, she's the. I mean, I I think she can be a leading actor. Um. She definitely has something. It's just weird that she's not.
1: Uh, you're reading my mind, man. I I think the same thing. Yep. I really want her to just get some media roles because when she gets something, even like this, and uh, that 300 sequel, I, I agree with you about the Sin City sequel. I mean, Casino Royale, she's fantastic in it. She, hands down, is one of the, if, if you were to make that category of all the Bond ladies and you were to do a ranking of actresses in that franchise, I think she would sit in the top three, in my opinion. Easy. Yeah. Easy. So I, I love her. I get excited when I, when, because regardless of the quality of the film, I always know that she's going to be good in it. It, I feel like, and I, so, I, I kick it myself cause she's in that TV series. It was it Penny dreadful or is that mm-hmm, what it is? Yeah. And I haven't watched it yet. Yeah.
0: I think she does a lot of French stuff too. Yeah. Um, in which you know it is not not on my radar as much. Um,
1: well, I got a D in French, so I yes, automatically take yes. those films to the bottom. So yeah. Um, so some other names that you would be surprised, uh, but when you when you show when they show up, you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. You get Liam Neeson, Brendan Gleeson, Jeremy Irons, um, Edward Norton. You don't see his face, but he plays King Baldwin, the Fourth of Jerusalem. So that is
0: a choice. That is a choice. <laughs> Uh, that's well, a choice
1: yes uh and let's just let's be honest. he he's really good in this
0: <laughs> he is it's just you cast Edward Norton in a film and do not show his face
1: which is crazy it is but that I mean I respect
0: yeah. the hell out of that choice but it is a bold choice
1: yeah you also get uh is it Martin uh I just butcher his last name cauis I, do, I you, think, do you do you pronounce this uh, I, I don't know.
0: I don't think you do.
1: He's, he's our villain of the, of the picture, right? For the yeah, most people part People would
0: recognize him. Um, he was in the Lord of the Rings as well. What else was he in? That was,
1: I don't know. Every time I see his face, I think like swarmy villain. He just has he that. Does. look, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Casson Musad is Saladin. Okay. So let's talk about production development. One thing to keep in mind. Real quick, Gladiator was 2000, right? So I, I think that set the box office on fire. It swept at the Academy Awards, took home a bunch of trophies. So Hollywood likes to chase after that stuff, right? So think about this. In 2003, uh, Russell Crowe goes on and, and does Master and Commander, Far Side of the World, which is a great film, in my opinion. Um, same year, Tom Cruise jumps on the historical epic bandwagon with The Last Samurai, and then 2004, we get Troy, another big budget historical epic. And then Ridley Scott comes back around in 2005. In 2005, we're, we're doing a film about the Crusades, and we are showing the Muslims in a, in a positive light. That is uh, probably going to be a bit problematic in the United States because you're living in a post-9-11 world. And I I think we're at the peak of the Iraq war at that time period as well. Right.
0: I mean, it feels like we're always at the peak of the Iraq war, Troy.
1: (laughs) That is true. We just can't let it go.
0: September 11th uh, did not do this film any, uh, any sort of boosting. Um, I know that was four years before this, but yeah, it's still
1: on everybody's mind.
0: yes, Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. So, You've you've mentioned that our Christian website doesn't like this and and just downgraded it to negative four. So there is a lot of academic criticism on this film. I'm I'm going to sound a little wordy here, but uh, when you talk about production and development, this film upon its release did come under fire pretty heavy from the Christians, but also from the academics. So academic criticism is focused on the supposed peaceful relationship between Christians and Muslims in Jerusalem and other cities depicted. Historians of the Crusades, such as Jonathan Riley Smith, quoted by the Daily Telegraph, described the film as dangerous to Arab relations, calling the film Osama bin Laden's version of history, which would fuel the Islamic fundamentalists. So that's pretty much everything in a nutshell, where if you go and read all of this academia on the film... They're, they're basically saying it's depicting the Muslims as sophisticated and civilized, and the Crusaders are all brutes and barbarians, and it has nothing to do with reality. So that's a couple of quotes that have been you know pulled from just reviews and, and people looking at this. Uh, Thomas F. Madden, director of St. Louis University's Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies, criticized the film's presentation of the Crusades. Given events in the modern world, it is lamentable that there is so large a gulf between what professional historians know about the Crusades and what the general population believes. This movie only widens that gulf. The shame of it is that dozens of distinguished historians across the globe would have only been too happy to help Scott and Monaghan get it right. Now, if you have the special edition of the Blu-ray, etc., Scott himself depicts. Defended this depiction of the Muslim Christian relationship in footage on some of the extra features. Scott sees this portrayal as being a contemporary look at the history. He argued that peace and brutality are concepts relative to one's own experience. And since contemporary society is so far removed from the brutal times in which the movie takes place, he told the story in a way that he felt was true to the source material yet was more accessible to a modern audience. Um, Within the director's cut of the film is a feature-length documentary called The Path to Redemption. And this includes some um, uh, features on the historical accuracy of the film. And there's one section called The Creative Accuracy that the Scholars Speak, where a number of other academics, now this is the minority, um, Mm -hmm. support the film's contemporary relevance and historical accuracy. Among these historians is Dr. Nancy Cochiola, who said that despite the various inaccuracies and fictionalized, dramatized details, she considered the film a responsible depiction of the period. And we're talking about this roadshow theatrical version. So what ended up happening was uh, Ridley Scott was unhappy with the theatrical version Kingdom of Heaven, which he blamed on paying too much attention to the opinions of the preview audiences because it did not screen well. And according to Fox, they said, you got to trim this thing by 45 minutes. So Ridley Scott just said, okay, you're taking all of these subplots and some of these major character events out. So he went ahead and supervised a director's cut of the film, which was released on the 23rd of December, 2005 in Los Angeles. And unlike the mixed critical reception of the film, when it was released in the theaters, the director's cut received overwhelmingly positive reviews from film critics including a four-star review in the British magazine Total Film and a 10 out of 10 on IGN.com. So the DVD of the Extended Director's Cut was released on May 23rd in 2006, and that DVD was like a four-disc box set with a runtime of 194 minutes. Now, there's also the Roadshow presentation with the Overture intermission um, that runs... um, Let's see. I no, the roadshow was 194. The director's yeah, well, cut's just a little bit less, right?
0: 189.
1: 189, that's right. The first Blu-ray release omitted the roadshow elements running at a 189 minutes, but were restored for the 2014 Ultimate Edition release. And again, if you don't have this and you're interested in the film, the two-disc Blu-ray, so disc 1 has all three versions of the movie. You can watch the theatrical, the director's cut, and the roadshow. And then disc two, uh, I, I want to say it's like nine hours of special features on the making of this film, plus documentaries about the crusade, etc. Uh Yeah. It's impressive. We
0: us- yeah. We don't usually talk about the presentation of a film in its packaging as a DVD or a Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. But even if you're curious about this film, I think picking up that ultimate edition is worth it. I got mine a while back for like, Ten bucks. I think that's paying. what it
1: goes right now. I mean, yeah, it's it's and it's, an, cheap. it's an
0: insane sort of look into making this film and all the stuff. It it's it's one of those things where you wish like all films that were ever made got this bit of attention because it it's staggering.
1: It is if if you want a really good throw behind the scenes making the film, top to bottom, uh, th- there's a reason why this won so many awards even when it was just a four disc DVD set. Mm-hmm. I, I mean. Regardless of what you think of the film, if if you're a movie buff, that disc two is just loaded with so much stuff. And you'll go down a rabbit hole just on this film alone.
0: Do you want to get into like the major difference of the two cuts? Or yeah, you let's, do let's talk
1: about that. So before before we share our thoughts on the film, um, let, let, let's talk about it. Because, again, the stu- it didn't test well. Studios came back and said, here are the comment cards and you you got to cut, you know, 45 minutes out. So you want to kind of go over the big differences.
0: Well, is it the son? Yes. Plotline completely gone? Right. So in the ultimate or in the director's cut, um basically um the king is is has has leprosy, right? Yep. And dies and uh, basically his son takes uh, as king. Well, not not his son his nephew well his nephew
1: but but uh Sabella's son
0: son yes yep. sorry it's her son his nephew it that was his uncle was the king quickly we've come to find out that he has uh early signs of leprosy and in a brutal scene brutal. is uh, poisoned and killed by his mother and yeah that all that not in there and it feels like that subplot really helps develop her as a character and kind of her downfall. um, There's stuff in the
1: beginning too, I think of uh, the truncated story of what puts um, Balian on the road to the Crusades is around uh, this priest. Right. And so in the director's cut, you also get some backstory that that was a half brother um, that uh, (laughs) does some terrible things to his wife's corpse who just committed suicide over a miscarriage. And yep. so this, I, I think Ridley Scott has, has said this over and over again. The director's cut is not just, here's a scene. Let me extend it by like a couple of minutes.
0: Oh, it's plot lines. It's, it's
1: higher yeah. plot lines in this film. Yeah. So, uh, do, do we want to take a break and then come back to this and talk about our thoughts? Absolutely. Okay. We'll be right back. And we're going to tell you what we thought About our recent viewing of uh, Kingdom of Heaven. So stay tuned. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy, the chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.
0: The following announcement contains certain serious
1: inaccuracies. We apologize for these and hope they will not spoil your enjoyment of the announcement. Thrill
0: to the music of Bert Bacharach! See Mark Spitz in his first all-comedy swimming role! See H.R. Haldeman as Biffle the Wonder Dog! <laughs> and Paul Newman and Robert Redford together again as the back legs of Bette Midler!
1: Yes, they're all in! Monty Python and the Holy Grail! We apologize again for those inaccuracies. <laughs> OK, Brad, we're back. Uh, let's kick it over to you, man. I mean, this was your week's pick. You did another Ridley Scott. We had a lot of fun talking about the last duel. I love I love when you pick these things that um, have this epic scale, but also are pretty dense in story. So uh, I, I got to ask the first question. Why did you pick this one?
0: Um, I, I picked it mostly because of the the outcry outcries not not the right term but the kind of the outpouring for the love of the director's cut okay and how um we usually talk about oh you know the the uh crowd screening the audience screenings just you know did this thing in here's another thing where the audience said no you this is too long you have to get you know you got to get this down and then the studio's like yeah 45 minutes have got to be gone and it turns out they were wrong because the product that you get in the director's sketch is much better. It's a much better film. Um, I've only seen... I saw this in the theater. That's the only time I've ever seen the theatrical cut. Did you like the theatrical cut when you saw it? I don't remember liking it as well, but to be perfectly honest with you, Sword and Sandals is one of my favorite like genres of films. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just kind of love... I love when you can have one army on one side of a hill and another army on another side of a hill and they run together and fight uh and and kind of those epic like wide shots um think something like um you get the quality of like the the cinematography say of like uh like a heaven's gate where you just mm-hmm. get these beautiful like landscapes and then you get the brutality of war i really like that stuff i mean something like troy again orlando bloom not a great movie by all accounts, but Sword and Sandals, I kind of really dig it a lot. Um, so it's a genre that I, I like a lot. It's a director that I absolutely love. And I, I think mostly it's it's because the we always hear films being taken away from directors. And it's amazing to me that you can have all the success in the world, even four years later or five yeah. years later, from Gladiator. And a studio still doesn't trust you to make a film.
1: Well, so we we talked about Sorcerer and William Friedkin coming off of um, a financial success, Oscars and everything else. And he gets to make a film where the studio doesn't touch him. Mm-hmm. And you would have thought the studio would have given that same, I don't know, leeway to this director, especially after yeah. Gladiator. Yeah. And that, that wasn't the case, right?
0: No, no. Um, I mean, he's shown that he can make a brutal film but also give it that other, the other stuff in it to make it more mass appeal. It just doesn't have the brutality of like, Hey, we're going to have this uh, guy or this gladiator ring. And it's going to be the most bloody violent film you have ever seen. No, it's got kind of him his search for peace with the death of his, you know, wife and kid and all that stuff. But here kind of doing the same thing um, on my thoughts on the film. Well, I, I think this is a f- a movie that if you subtract out or if you substitute out the lead actor for somebody who's good, just good, somebody who's good, this is an infinitely better film. And I think marketing this as an Orlando Bloom film, because if you look at the poster, like he's dead center, it says kingdom of heaven. Oh, it's he's got him charging right in the middle of
1: battle. Orlando, man. This is yeah. an
0: Orlando Bloom film.
1: Looks like Legolas in the Crusades.
0: Yeah, or it's like more like Kingdom of Guy Liner, am I right, Troy? <laughs> I so much Skyliner. Yeah, so much guyliner The Eyeliner
1: made. budget alone um, had to be like 10 million.
0: Yeah, we have to get Jose to do some research on how much Skyliner was in this yeah, movie. It's crazy. Um, uh, but I think everyone else in this movie is killing it except Orlando Blue. Every time you and and he's in the film, God, like 90% of the scenes.
1: Yeah. You're, you're, you're following him. In yeah, his his, journey. his yeah.
0: hero's journey is his hero's journey. I just, I can't, I can't do it with him for some reason. It just doesn't work for me. And I wish, I don't know who they could have gotten uh, in 2005. Hell, even if it's Matt Damon, like if, could you imagine if Matt Damon was in this movie, how much better it would be.
1: Didn't we get that? And it was called the great wall.
0: Yeah. And it, Mm. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah. I, I I like the Great Wall, so
0: yeah, I I, I kind of like it too. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Matt Damon in The Last Duel is fantastic.
1: Oh, I hey, look, I agree. Matt, take take the Matt Damon Adam Driver element of The Last mm-hmm. Duel.
0: Oh yes, or, even, put or it even in
1: like Ben Affleck was in that. I mean, take yeah. any one of those three and put them into this role. I think it would have been infinitely more interesting.
0: Yes, I, I just think there's just. Some people just don't have that it factor. They're 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 stars. They're actors, and they are people are attracted to them, but they're not movie stars, and they're not above the above the title movie stars. Melinda well, Bloom is not that.
1: I I think it's that, and I think when your central protagonist, like okay, so let's talk about the stoic character. So somebody who comes in. And the world is just beaten up and you have to come in sort of cold and callous and stoic and are constantly taking the high path.
0: But we, we have an example of that five years earlier, Russell Crowe. I know, but
1: to me, that's, that's how hard it is to play that character because Mm -hmm. on paper, it is boring as hell. In my opinion. Yeah. It's super boring. You have to bring
0: something extra. You do. You, you
1: have to bring some nuance. You have to, uh, I, I don't know, connect with the audience so that they can feel that pain uh, or or something of that nature. I mean, the the central character in Gladiator in this one, how far removed or different are they on paper, just in terms of its basics? I uh, to Not me there's yeah, there's more similarities than differences. Yeah. And really now you're you're talking about your acting chops at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and, and sadly Orlando Bloom doesn't have what it takes to lift this film up to what the quality deserves to be what everyone else is is basically bringing this quality up to be i mean you look at the cast and you look at i mean jeremy irons just killing it liam oh neeson God. for the short time that's he's in it is killing it avery green those bad guys the it's just everyone is doing such a good job gleason
1: and, is chewing up scenery
0: yeah and then you're going to your hero and he's just Uh, he's just not doing it for me. And I wish he was because I think again, I love the Epic scale of this film. You can see every dollar spent here. Um, Some of the CGI backgrounds are a little 2005 ish. They don't hold up as well, but a lot of the stuff with the battling and like the trebuchets that are just throwing those huge rocks I mean, it is truly epic and it's truly pretty brutal. And I love that stuff. And I, I, I like this movie so much that like Orlando Bloom's sort of middling performance doesn't hurt it for me. Well, it hurts it a little bit, but it doesn't destroy it. Um, Pro-
1: probably the best way to describe it is when uh, you, okay. When Orlando Bloom is in an exchange, if if you're not paying attention to the content and you're paying attention to him, I think you feel the runtime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there, there's two exchanges I'm thinking of. There's one with um, him and David Thouless when they're talking about religion versus holiness. And yeah. I think it's an extremely interesting uh, exchange or speech. He Look, I mean, his, his acting in that scene looks like uh, paint drying. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but the, but the context of what they're talking about, I think is interesting. And then there's another exchange where Ed Norton uh, you, you first see Ed Norton on screen. It's got all masks and they're talking about chess and et cetera. There's some really interesting things going on from there. And Ed Norton is acting circles around him yeah. in a robe and a mask and again, you're like, well, there's paint drying on screen again.
0: <laughs> well, and I think that's why the first 45 minutes feels a little slower to me, even with like the Liam Neeson stuff. Mm-hmm. It's because a lot of that is centered on getting to getting like the, the background of the related bloom character. I just yeah, I God, I just wish it was somebody else, because I think if someone else is in this, say, we'll just use Matt Damon. Say Matt Damon is in this film in 2005. It is a classic. To me, it's just a step below that because its lead actor is not performing to the caliber that this film deserves.
1: Okay. I I do have a question for you because when you you read the research and everything about this, and obviously you read the Christian website, they they just Mm -hmm. hate this thing. Uh, when, when you come across this type of film, Gladiator, whatever it is, Troy, how well, Troy is a Greek mythology, right? So <laughs> I mean, rooted in Alexand- Alexandria, Alexander, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So how accurate does the history need to be in this type of film for you to enjoy it? Not at all. Oh, really? Okay.
0: I, I don't really care about that stuff. Like, um,
1: kind of like me and like science. I, like, I don't, I don't. I don't care if this. Yeah, exactly, is exactly.
0: Because like I, I'm coming to see people fight each other. I don't care how historically accurate it is. I don't care. You know, like it would be nice if I could learn some stuff, but I'm not learning history from film. I'm learning history from reading books and and doing research myself. Like that's just not where I'm I'm coming to get my history because. I think a lot of time especially when you bring in the religious aspect of it, I think there's a lot of revisionist history on that. And, and we can – I think this time frame is pretty ripe with being able to say who was bad and who was good uh, because, you know, people were declaring wars in the name of gods and – Well, I, so I, let,
1: let me ask you. this This film I find interesting, not just – In how they told this story, but in also the time they told this story, two thousand five, I wanted I wanted to ask your question. Like I feel like this is a big old middle finger to the establishment. And if if you were looking for meaning of the film, like take away the historical accuracy for a second and go, what is this film really talking about? I think. It is trying to talk about man's um, is is I don't know if the right word is um, to war over mm-hmm. ideology and how at the end of the day uh, there there <laughs> there was a phrase and I wish I remembered the Italian version of it. So when we were in Florence, we got to see the world's first bank there. So if you know about the you know the history of Italy, Medici stuff like that. Um, but the the first bank I think is in Siena and what is interesting is they had this saying and I think it's from a Latin saying as well, like money doesn't smell. So I, I watch a film like this and when, when you throw in religion, when you throw in politics, whatever the other, at the end of the day, it's like, where's the money? Mm -hmm. Where's the money to be made? Where's the land grab? Where are the resources that you need to make the money And I feel like this film is not championing Muslims or Christians, but it's highlighting this aspect of religion versus holiness, but these men who are out to do these things because money doesn't smell. And to do that in 2005, when we're at the height of the Iraq war, I feel like Ridley Scott is like, well, I'm going to take a bunch of liberties with the story because I want to hammer home this idea that these wars and, and all of this stuff that continues to happen over history, it's not over political ideology, but it is over the resources, the land, and the money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for this to come out in 2005 is is a ballsy move. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think...
1: With that narrative.
0: With that narrative, of course. Yes. yes. Yes, and I think there aren't many directors who could go (laughs) to a studio and say, Hey, I want to make this film. Here's what it's going to be. And they say, okay, here's $130 million. Go ahead. But I, but
1: I'll Uh, also say, I don't know if that hurt the box office because in my opinion, and I I would be curious for anybody else who's listening, their opinion too. To me, that messaging is a little bit lost because they're still spectacle and it's still mm -hmm. very gladiator light um, but I don't know if that hurt the box office where people were walking out and going, Wow, I think Ridley Scott's kind of preaching at us about these wars and resources and stuff like that. I, I don't I really think that's that's you know, four layers into the film. I don't think that hurt its box office um, take. I think either other films or the fact that it was another sort insane, you know, we talk about hollywood going through cycles. Maybe this was the time when those period epics needed to cool off for a little bit
0: hmm well I, it's funny like you were talking about I, I, like the most brutal kind of barbaric people in this in this film are depicted as the templars yeah and I, again like the templars were supposed to be like these like holy crusader like and so you're showing that in a lot of the muslims are showing more to be more merciful and yeah the like arguably the white guys are the villains in this film. Um, well, one, I mean, yeah, th- there's, not there's, com- there's
1: complexity on the Muslim side where, you know, the Muslims are very much saying we need a war. Mm-hmm. We we have to have a war. We have to overtake Jerusalem. Uh, and you know, there's, there's a great exchange within their camp that basically says, you promised we were going to take Jerusalem back. And, you know, uh, our, our character basically says, look, I'm sort of in a catch-22 position. I need to maintain the peace, but in order to maintain peace, I have to create a war, which I think is is pretty fascinating. Yeah. And then his yeah. confidant. And and I think that's the Saladin character is like, I, I don't know what to do. And the other character says, Well, just wait, because when the king dies and all of a sudden the the nephew takes over and he's so young, he doesn't have the capacity to rule. And they're going to cause so much infighting. They're going to create the environment to go to war.
0: War. And all we have
1: to do is respond to that, which I think is is pretty interesting. And even towards the end of the film, they're like, hey, should we show mercy? He's like, Saladin's like, no mercy whatsoever, thinking that he's going to take over Jerusalem. But when he finds out that that can't happen – then he agrees to terms right so yeah, yeah. it's it's but I will more say is complicated
0: is that what you're trying to say
1: it is and I would say from a storytelling standpoint it is nuanced and subtle on the Muslim side whereas the the more bad behavior is described on you know through the through the Crusaders
0: yeah which again like September eleventh 2001 was four years sure uh so you know we're we're kind of going against. We're trying to give a little bit of humanization to the Muslim religion. Yeah. But I, I mean, again, I would,
1: I which would I, like
0: I, people I, again, like, I think that's perfectly fine to do. Like,
1: I would love for somebody to, to write in or, or tell their perspective and say, Hey, like, Hey, in, in this time period, I didn't go support this film or maybe I don't even like this film because of its historical inaccuracy or what it's saying. I would love to really sit down and talk with that person from that point of view and just go, okay, it, it, the history is so inaccurate, but if you look at what Ridley Scott was going for, from a storytelling or narrative perspective in 2005, does, does it have any validity in terms of its, uh, its statement?
0: Yeah. Um, I guess you could argue that Ridley Scott's like thesis isn't the opening of this film it, it's it kind of gives it as like historically accurate because it gives you know white text on black background like here's where we are um now if it if you can say ridley scott saying coming out and saying here's what i want to do with this film it's not accurate <laughs> but here's my here's my uh my goal yeah you could see but obviously they're not going to do that but i don't know i <laughs> Going to a film to get historically accurate stuff to me is is a losing battle. But anyway, what I'm a, I'm gonna hear your thoughts? Oh, um,
1: it's it's kind of similar to yours, in, okay. in my opinion. When I look at a film like this, I think there are like this type of movie has to work on two levels for me to to enjoy it. The first level is you got to see some kind of spectacle and feel like you're in that world, mm-hmm. and you you have to feel like history came alive. And that—that's what I'm looking for. Like, go back and watch Spartacus. Kubrick's Spartacus, I, I think, is amazing yeah. because it—it it, it feels like hist- You're watching history, right? Take take away. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're not setting the bar too high. I know, but I mean, that's. <laughs> I still look at that film yeah. and go, you—you you can piece that apart for historical inaccuracies and whatnot, but at the end of the day. It does feel like the environment is jumping off of like those old history books, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is you got to care about the protagonist. And they they have to transcend the history element. So forget, forget about what's going on in the environment. But if you're gonna follow a character, because most of these films are, they're not 90 minutes. And the ones yeah. that are 90 minutes are the goofy fun sword and sandal films, right? The Hercules stuff. So if you're going to follow somebody for two and a half, three hours, that character has to be relatable and they got to be struggling with the human condition more than the environment. Like the environment is just the stage, but what they're going through has to have this human element. So if mm-hmm. those two things are are working, then great. I'm, I'm in for the ride and gladiator. He did gladiator. I mean, if you were to just look, look at those two requirements, gladiator is a 10 out of 10, in my opinion, on both those. Yep. They're just fantastic. So let's talk about the history coming to life. Um, You made this comment, like the money's on the screen. And I agree with you 100%. And the minute I really felt that is when they go to Messina, to that port, and you see yep. it, and you go, holy cow. I mean, I'm not saying it's cheap to show uh, depressed farmlands. <laughs> I grew up in Kansas. Um, so, but you, you go to Messina and you see all the hustle and bustle for that time period. You really see the money on screen right there. And then from there on out, it just looks like a big production. Um, I a hundred percent think Ridley Scott is one of the best world builders in cinema hands down. Cause you've already talked about alien, um, blade runner, stuff like that. I mean, this guy knows how to take you to another place. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other thing is the aftermath of the battle sequences, I actually think are more impressive than the battle sequences themselves. I'm thinking about those, um, vultures. vultures? Yeah. yeah, And stuff like that. And, and he spends time showing not just people getting cut in half and arrows through the throat and all this other stuff, but what happened, like the landscape after the battle. And it's, it's, it's just very visceral in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, so that stuff, 100%. Hundred percent.
0: Yeah, showing the repercussions of war is is intense.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about the journey of the protagonist now, like the the human condition. <laughs> yeah. So you get a treacherous brother-in-law or half brother. Sorry, not brother-in-law, half brother. Um, you get a suicidal wife who had a miscarriage. Uh, he eventually falls in love with the wife of a Templar. Um, he he has this. I need to do all these things to basically get my wife out of hell because that's where he, he thinks she is. Mm-hmm. He, he comes across a father that he didn't know. Right. All of the things on paper sound like somebody is really going through some shit, but Orlando bloom doesn't bring all this pain together. In my opinion, no, um, he
0: shows pain through wearing guy liner.
1: Yes. And I think his stoic performance, quote unquote, really mutes his abil- mutes our ability to connect with him because he's not, he's not good enough to carry a three-hour movie or four-hour movie on stoic performance. Mm-hmm. He's just not.
0: Yeah, you shouldn't feel like the character is building a wall between themselves and the audience, and that's yeah. what I felt with him.
1: A hundred percent. I, I, that's probably the most accurate statement. Like, the only downfall of this film is Orlando Bloom, in my opinion. You're right. Everybody in this film is amazing. Eva Green is watching her. How could they cut that stuff out with her son? I know. Like the biggest wow moment is watching her come to that conclusion of what she's got to do, then sitting down and playing with her son and telling him a story, and then watching her pour that stuff into his ear as he's laying in her lap, it is soul crushing. Mm-hmm. And she sells the crap out of it. She's so good in this film. Ed oh Norton. yeah. And Norton's amazing. Um uh, Jeremy Irons is fantastic.
0: Every, yeah. Like literally everybody. Yes. The guy playing everybody. the the guy playing Guy or whatever his name is. Martin
1: Saucus yeah. or uh yeah he's he's great. Um Brendan Gleason You'd love to hate that guy. Like when he got his head chopped off, I was so yeah.
0: there are some pretty great decapitations in this film.
1: Yes, there are. But, uh, I, I'm with you, uh, just lock and step in terms of your feelings on this film. I think if you had somebody else other than Orlando bloom, this would have been gladiator part two in terms of its epic scale. He, Absolutely. he is what brings it down. And, uh, I, I really think, the <laughs> everybody else around him really props up his performance. I mean, I'm not saying it's terrible.
0: Yeah, it, just imagine if everyone else wasn't hitting home runs and everyone was hitting singles. No, then you'd yeah. start to really feel his bad performance. Uh, but everyone else is picking him up so much that it stands out, but it's not as bad because everyone else is doing such a good job
1: yeah, my, my butt starts to feel the runtime, uh, when he's on screen and then somebody else comes along and, and, you know, just saves him in my opinion. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm also, I think again, we've talked about this. There's some really interesting concepts in the script. So I, I can see why, you know, our guy goes on to win an Academy award the next year for the departed. Mm -hmm. I think the script is really good.
0: It is. It is really good. Um, yeah, it, it you can you can kind I just wish God, I just wish they were able to show the mass audience the film that we get to see now. Yeah. I it's look, not it's not fair. It's really not because I think people deserve to see this on a big screen.
1: I agree. Um, but even the director's cut, the the thing that's always gonna hurt it, in my opinion, is Orlando Bloom. So as amazing as the world building is, how it transports you, I think the script's really good. You get you get these lines like, "A king may move a man, but the soul belongs to the man." And that whole exchange, and even the exchange between religion and holiness. There's there's so many great lines that almost feel Shakespearean. Um, yeah, in terms of the, of the quality and what they're trying to reference. But the the problem is Orlando Bloom sort of sucks the magic out of those scenes with his performance every once in a while. All the time. Okay, all the time.
0: Yeah, it it really is the weakest link. Uh, it's I. Uh,
1: but it's not so much that you can't still sit there and enjoy it.
0: No, because the battles are great. They're brutal. They're intense. They last. I mean, they're they're not just like battles that last for a few minutes. Like they go on. Especially that last siege is a yeah. The last
1: forty five minutes is is pretty impressive from a technical perspective.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. I you know and and you hope that if you invest your you make your audience invest two hours and thirty minutes before that that you're going to reward them in the last forty five minutes and this this does it quite well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I just I'm I'm with you. I would love to have seen the director's cut on the big screen. I'm happy that, you know, we did the see Blu-ray. It. Yeah, but I mean, it, this this to me deserves that uh 4K uh version. Mm-hmm. And and I hope, you know, they put some money to it given how much is uh, available in terms of special features, etc. It's just this is also one of those films where if we were to coin a phrase like a Criterion near miss, this to me is a Criterion near miss. Yes. So it's it's om- it, it has all if, the ingredients.
0: If it, if it has an A list star on it,
1: well, it has an A list star of that time period. It just doesn't yeah. have an A list actor.
0: Yeah, not a list performance. Yeah,
1: yeah, but it, yeah. yeah, to me, this is just that near miss criterion release where uh, everybody would have said, "Well, it maybe didn't do so well at the the box office." Go to the theatrical cut, and then look how amazing it is. The problem is, you even with the director's cut, that just gives you. I don't know. I, I didn't mind the theatrical cut. Like when it came out, I don't remember hating this film. I just don't remember that much about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that, uh, the battle sequences and stuff like that. But I always felt it was a bit shallow that extra 45 minutes. It, it just has this connective thread. And I think it, be, it's because of that uh, Eva green performance and in her whole subplot, Mm-hmm. That really elevates it for me into something much more memorable.
0: Now, I have a question for you. Okay. So, you can only watch one Ridley Scott Sword and Sandals film. You got this, or you can watch The Last Duel. Which one are you doing? The Last Duel. Same here. Yeah. It's really not close.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the guy gave us Gladiator, The Last Duel in this one. That's not too shabby. No. And I'd probably, I'd probably, rank them in that order right gladiator last duel and then uh kingdom of heaven
0: yeah i think kingdom of heaven is like a tier two it it's just off of tier one
1: yeah i, I agree
0: that uh, sadly this you know I, there hasn't been a film i've watched in in recent memory where i wish i could go back and recast somebody because they are just so wrong for a role but yeah. then again it doesn't it doesn't make the film unwatchable like cuz everything else is working so much but you're just like man this could have been an absolute classic.
1: This is the problem sometimes though. You you get an Orlando Bloom who nails it in his franchises, right that he's known for mm-hmm. and you go let him step up to the plate. I just wish it would have been a you know, let him step up to the plate to something that's not this. Mm-hmm. And everybody would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put him with put him with somebody good. And support. He's great as a supporting actor. Maybe maybe he's going to win all the Academy Awards uh, from here on out on Best Supporting Actor. This guy's not going to win a Best yeah. Actor award.
0: Which is totally fine. It's totally fine to be a supporting actor. It's okay to be
1: a lieutenant. It really yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, what other thoughts do you have on this one?
0: Yeah, I I mean I think if if if. You are curious about this. Definitely check it out. Get that ultimate edition release from 2014. Watch everything that comes with it. Cause you could really do a deep dive into this. It's uh, got a lot of stuff. Oh, like, I think d- it's like nine hours, right? Yeah,
1: it it is. I wanted to ask you like doing the roadshow presentation and the classic Hollywood versus going right into the film with the director's cut. Did it add anything to you?
0: Um, I mean the intermission gave me a good time to, uh, Take a break. So w- take a break. <laughs> yes, yes. Because um, i I wanted to watch this in one setting, and i I had to stretch my legs. But I'm really glad I watched it in one setting. I think it really enhances the the effect of it. And I mean, after you come back from intermission, it's a lot of action going on. It 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 really moves that second half.
1: Yeah, there's. I'll, I'll say this. There's something about an orchestral movement that you are—it's just setting the tone. Mm-hmm. I miss that a little bit. Like the yeah,
0: I, I, we didn't mention it, but I think the music in this is is really solid as well.
1: I think so too. And it—it's kind of like the black hole when I—I I just miss this whole. Here's an overture, and it's going to give you almost a preview because. Music moves the emotions a little bit with these sequences, right? Take music out of your favorite sequences and it probably plays differently. So to show your hand a little bit as a filmmaker and go, here's the composition for the film and basking that a little bit before you watch the film. I, I miss that a little bit, especially yeah. especially if the music's really good.
0: Yeah. Here's your film appetizer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I like that term. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question. Uh, We just got done having another great, lively discussion of a Ridley Scott film, 2005's Kingdom of Heaven. Is it a bomb?
0: Not a bomb. As much as Orlando Bloom does bring this film down, it's still something I think people should see. Definitely the director's cut. I can't vouch for the theatrical cut. I haven't seen it in uh, 17 years. But yeah, this one is is, uh, pretty great and a lot of fun and brutal. It's got... All the things you want in a sword and sandals film, just missing that one piece.
1: Okay. If, if somebody, I don't know that we knew maybe a couple of guys who mm-hmm. haven't seen the director's cut and didn't really take to the theatrical cut. Did you have an elevator pitch for him to go back and watch it?
0: Uh, yeah. The evergreen subplot.
1: Okay. Okay, cool. I agree with you hundred percent. It's not a bomb. Uh, I, I really think if you're a film collector and, uh, you, you, you you like these epics, you gotta own this one. And if you haven't seen the director's cut, give it a try. And then especially for things that you know have special features, etc. This is this is one of the the big ones in my opinion, in terms mm-hmm. of everything that's out there. I, I think you really should uh own it, in my opinion. Now, maybe AI technology, everything will get so advanced, we could take a film like this and go, could you replace Orlando Bloom with uh, Matt Damon, Don Lee, let's give it to Don Lee. Ooh, yeah. that would be, <laughs> be an entirely different film. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, he, he is the drawback of it. Uh, but I still think everything else around this thing is, is spectacular enough that, that you should give it a watch. Agreed. Yep. So Brad, we got a ton of listener feedback.
0: We did. A Boy. ton.
1: You want to go through some of this?
0: Please let's do. And while you're getting that ready, I just want to thank everyone for reaching out. The last two weeks has been ridiculous for us. People reaching out for the first time. People keep reaching out, giving us suggestions for October, just everything. It's been uh pretty awesome to see the audience grow and grow and grow and interact. It's a uh, and I thank everyone for doing that. It, uh, it really is nice to, you know, random Tuesday. You're like, Hey, someone send us an email. Hey, Another person sent us an email. Hey, we got more emails. It just, it's great. I appreciate all of you who do that, and if you don't, it's fine. Please listen and share. Uh, but for people who do reach out, thank you.
1: Yeah, it's even on the social posts. It's cool for somebody to just just drop a comment. I, I was amazed last week how many people um, just shared their personal stories. Like my my favorite thing is when somebody writes in or um, shares a post or a response, and it's tied back to a memory. Or an experience they had at the movie theaters, like th- mm-hmm. those, are my favorite.
0: People uh, did not like the fact that you said you can't appreciate two thousand one unless you see it on the big screen.
1: Oh, did I say that?
0: Oh, yes, you did. Oh, the yeah. Well, I stand. Like I that.
1: stand by that.
0: You <laughs> no. pretentious.
1: Pretentious, yeah. No, I. I mean, I'll. I will. I'll double down on it's this a comment. Better
0: experience. It
1: is a better experience. Sure. Um, I think j- there are just some movies that are made. To be seen in the theater in my opinion so okay sorry if i offended anybody by that but the pretentious side of troy came out. all right let's start with connor just a quick one to say if you're looking for the worst of the worst for your october spooky season which we are connor we, we love those we films are. uh you can't look beyond what's considered by many to be the worst sequel of all time jaws the revenge yes it made a little bit of cash but it grossed by far the lowest of the entire jaws franchise and sits on many many worse of lists uh i saw that in the theater in Punkus city oklahoma i remember where i saw that thing yeah i
0: I believe it sits at a zero percent on rotten tomatoes i believe
1: okay he also says other notable mentions or personal favorites are alone in the dark the psycho (sighs) remake Exorcist to the see, Heretic hey, and Exorcist the Psycho three.
0: remake. You see A H's butthole in that one.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it, but we need to. We need to. We <laughs> her butthole or the Psycho remake? <laughs> either one. <laughs> I haven't searched the internet out for that. Okay. Uh, Exorcist 2, Heretic beginning. Hey uh, Connor, we did do it. We didn't really officially talk about that, but when we talked about Exorcist Dominion, and uh, we had, we had a whole Exorcist show, if I remember correctly, we last did, year. Yes. Right? Okay. The Wicker Man remake, which I've never seen, I need to. Uh, I know who killed me. Near Dark, amazing. Bone Tomahawk, amazing. Uh, Dead Alive, Brain Dead. Rocky Horror Picture Show, interesting one. Initially bombed, but went on to make a fortune. Cheers, Connor. Uh, great picks, Connor. Those are those are going on the list, and your your pick is going in the hat there.
0: Yeah, you only get one. We're gonna do Jaws: The Revenge for your one pick. Oh, you want you want to talk about how we're doing this? Oh, yes. So um, everyone who sends in a pick for October, we're going to list them all out. Um, You get one, Connor. Sorry. So you get the Jaws, the Revenge. And then we will randomly pick four. No, actually, I think we get five Tuesdays in October.
1: Do we get five? I think we do. Oh, man. Awesome.
0: So it'll be four or five, whether. And um, if we pick your film, Troy and I will send you a thank you. For picking the film that we do in October, for doing our job for us.
1: Yes, we're going to give you a treat versus a trick.
0: Yes. Yeah. And so the criteria. It'll, it'll make are, up
1: for my pretentious comments about 2001. Yeah, How's trying
0: to see Charlie. I'm going to win, see, to gonna win, win back. everybody back. Uh, but the criteria is it must be either a financial bomb, a critical bomb, or both, and we must not have done it before.
1: Exactly. Okay. We got one from Philip. Hey Troy and Brad. I just listened to your latest podcast and really enjoyed the conversation. For some reason, this film was never on my radar, but I think I'll be seeking out Sorcerer after hearing your thoughts on it. I also enjoyed your opening talking about your early movie theater experiences. My earliest memory of going to the movie theater was also a William Freakin film, so don't child protective service on my parents, but my dad, who was a huge horror movie fan, took me to see The Exorcist at a revival of the film in the late 70s. I must have been under eight at the time. My father, hey, dude, (laughs) I I had to watch that thing on uh, CBS. So Philip and I have a lot in common here.
0: And it Uh, hasn't haunted you ever since, Troy.
1: Night terrors and everything else. (laughs) Yep. So I must have been under eight at the time. My father died in early 1983, but I can vividly remember going to a horror movie on Sundays with him all through 81 and 82, the heyday for slashers. I'm glad Keith Macy was able to get in touch with you about his experiences filming full, full circle, the haunting of Julia. That would be great to have him as a guest quick update on that. Um, we're, we're still talking with Keith. Uh, he has some stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, Keith from Brad and I hope everything is going smooth for you. And uh, we can't wait to just hook up and and talk about one of your favorite films and your experiences. So that is coming um, and of course, you know I have to throw my suggestions in the house for Spooky October. So here we go. I think you may like that one, Dead of Winter, 1987, from Arthur Penn and Mary Steenburgen. I'll also, I'll also resurgent 1981's Wolfen, that kind of got lost between The Howling and American Werewolf in London that year. We should put that down for his pick. That's a really good pick, Wolfen. Wolfen, okay. Yeah, I we I think that's been on our radar for a while, but it has. Yeah. In October, a great time for a discussion on George Romero. How about 1993's The Dark Half, based on the Stephen King book? That thing sat on the shelf for two years while Ryan Pictures was financially in the hole and ready to shut down. Uh, Gentleman's Guide did The Dark Half here not too recently. I believe you're correct. We'll talk about it, but if you want um, a quick fix, go check that episode out. There was recently a new 4K of 1993's Needful Things that added an additional hour to the already two-hour theatrical release. And just for fun, No Talk of Horror Bombs is complete without the mention of Uwe Boll. And how about that guilty pleasure from 2003, House of the Dead, the ultimate cheesy zombie popcorn flick? Ooh, I don't know, Brad. That's That sounds amazing. Uh, does it? Yes, it does. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing because at some point they tried to remarket that for a DVD release as a comedy, if I remember correctly. That's right. They did. Yeah. Uh, that's for some great discussion, guys. Best wishes for a spooktacular October. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks, Phil. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Jeremiah, this is a new one. Right, so this one's super interesting. I listened to the underwater episode a few days ago, and it made me think of something I wanted to share. I think everyone touched on this, but it wasn't ever said explicitly. I'm not sure exactly how to quantify this emotion or metric. But Underwater felt like it did a really good job in revealing that there was something supernatural going on. I don't think you're exposed to it until the scene when one of the baby creatures comes out of the body that was emitting a signal, which is a decent chunk in the movie. I think that an important part of movies is setting the viewer's suspension of disbelief at an appropriate level and then not doing anything too far away from that level. After the mermaid spawn was introduced, the pacing of the movie picks up in terms of the supernatural, but it feels easy to accept, even though the first chunk of the movie seems completely rooted in our reality. It makes me think of Brandon Sanderson's first law of magics. An authority's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. They gave us an understanding of how the world works underwater, then introduced a problem surrounded in mystery and gave us enough ambiguity in the cause for it to make sense that a Cthulhu creature was at the heart of it. Best, Jeremiah. Wow. That feedback's amazing.
0: Uh, Yeah. Uh,
1: What do you think about that? An author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. It goes back to our science or maybe even history discussion, like you, you create your own environment, mm-hmm. and I love these films where science is so goofy. They just kind of throw physics and everything out the
0: Yeah, but the as window. long as they play by those rules, right?
1: Yeah, you set your rules up, and you have an understanding of what those rules are. And as long as you don't break those rules and you stay within that, it makes it pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, it's like the face-off thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy.
0: Yeah. It's the first rule of face-off.
1: First rule of face-off. That's what we shall ever call this rule now. First rule of face-off. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, we're not calling it some magic thing. We're calling and it... John
0: Woo we trust, yes. And John Woo we
1: trust. I like it. Okay, last one for Michael. I have a f- I have a few suggestions for your upcoming spooky season. A trio of them. And they are as follows. Here we go. 1990s Night of the Living Dead remake. Directed by Tom Savini. Ooh.
0: Ooh,
1: Ooh that's a good one. I saw that at Showplace South in... Evansville.
0: Which Kansas? Oh, in which Kansas. No, Evansville, Evansville, Indiana.
1: Yeah, like during college. Um, 1992's Dr. Giggles directed by Manny Cotto? Yeah.
0: Isn't that getting a Blu-ray release, like a nice Blu-ray release coming up soon?
1: Oh, is it? Is Shot Factory doing that
0: one? I forget who's actually doing it, but someone's doing a really good Dr. Giggles release.
1: Oh, man. Those two. Which one are we going to put down for him? Those are really good picks.
0: Let's do the Dr. Giggles because it's been a long time since I've seen that.
1: Okay, we'll, we'll we'll give Michael. We haven't the doc- talked about Larry Clark enough, Troy. That's true. <laughs> that is true. And finally, a truly terrible film which falls into the science. Oh, we have one more. I'm sorry. And finally, a truly terrible film which falls into the science fiction horror genre, Aliens versus Predator Requiem, which was a financial success but a critical failure. I can't say enough bad things about this. Take that care. That the and keep up the excellent work.
0: Is that the one that's really dark?
1: Is, yeah, was that the one where the, yeah. it's at a police station and you can barely see yeah, what's going on?
0: Yeah, you can see. Yeah, because the first one is like in Antarctica or something. They're in like a. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. with Lance Henriksen's in that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Requiem is so dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Shout Factory is doing that. Doctor Giggles.
1: Okay, we're let's put that one in that. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, man, this feedback was amazing. And then you had somebody reach out to you. About the big Lebowski, because we had a discussion around uh, people th- there was there's a way to get an ordained minister to be the dude or something like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Eric from the VHS files uh, said that not only is he ordained as the dude in dudism, but I believe he had a dude ordained minister do his wedding.
1: That married which him? Josh
0: failed to mention in our podcast. So way to I, go, I Josh. I question their friendship.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is kind of a big deal. Like if you're, if your friend got yeah. married by a dudist priest
0: and you're on a podcast talking about the big Lebowski, you'd think you'd mentioned it.
1: Every time I say dudist priest though, I'm going to go listen to Judas priest. Mm-hmm. So that's where Freaking my head goes. Yeah. Uh, so amazing feedback. We still have a few more weeks before we settle down with our picks for Spooktober. Brad, if yes, somebody sir. wants to send in a suggestion, and please folks, these are amazing suggestions. We want to we we're looking for a reason not only to give back to you guys in October with some treats, but also fill up our list with a lot of great spooky picks cuz we love horror movies. But uh, Brad, how do they get a hold of us?
0: Yeah, that's not pot at @gmail.com or you can go to notabombpodcast.com. Hit the contact us button or reach out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Don't reach out on Threads because we never check it anymore because it things like Threads is no longer a thing. So it's not a Instagram, thing. Instagram, I don't know. Did though. I miss it?
1: I okay. Yeah, you
0: missed it. It came and went. <laughs> right.
1: um, we've had some people also jump on like iTunes and leave us uh, some reviews, uh, folks. If you like the show and you get a second, go rate us. That's a way for other people to find us when you know we pop up on somebody else's recommendation thread. And if mm-hmm. you got a few nice words to say about us, that would be awesome. If there's some other podcasts that we, you think we would enjoy and that we should go check out, send them our way too. Because we like um, learning about other podcasts and then leaving good reviews for them too. Uh, this type of exchange has also led to us being on other shows. So... Uh, Here pretty soon, Brad and I are actually doing the research for this next show. But we're going to be showing up on another podcast talking about uh, kung fu movies, right?
0: Oh, can't wait. I can't wait.
1: Yeah, we're going to leave this one as a surprise. But Brad and I right now are actively watching and studying a a particular kung fu film that we love.
0: Arguably one of the greatest ones of all time.
1: Yeah, let's just say that the last, what, 30 minutes of this film, probably top five martial arts sequences out there. Yeah. So it's impressive. So more on that. Stay tuned. Troy, I've watched it twice this week. I'm going to watch it twice. Uh I'm I'm excited. But yeah, we're we're gonna be doing that. Um what else, Brad? There's some other podcasts that people should be listening to, right?
0: That is true. They should listen to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, watch skip plus the VHS files where you can hear Josh not remember things about Eric's wedding, <laughs> Night of the Living Podcast, Damn. the Mixay podcast, and Raiders of the Podcast.
1: Yeah, shout out to uh, Matt and some of the others from, uh, God, I'm blanking right now. Mixtape. Mixtape, yep, sorry, it's late. Uh, Matt has been sending some texts and some feedback about some of his experiences on the films that we talked about, love it. Uh, And and I can't say this enough, Brad's already kind of talked about this. We really love the community, we love the interaction, Um, we love the friendships that we're creating out of all this, so please keep it up. If there's uh, something that you want to hear more of or less of, share it with us. We we want to make sure that, you know, if you're spending an hour and a half or two hours with us talking about a film, it's something that you want to listen to. So, um, you know, send us feedback. We love it. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's it for this evening, right? I think so. Okay. Well, I don't know if you're listening in the morning. The Oh, you know what? We haven't even talked about what we're doing next week.
0: Oh, God damn. Troy, you're the host. (laughs) I'm not the (laughs) host. You're the host. Okay. Uh, I don't even know what we're doing doing
1: next week. What are we doing? Oh, I do.
0: We're doing. So we're going to do a film from 2022. Oh. Um, It's a coming of age drama directed by one of the greatest film directors of all time, Mr. Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Mr. Steven Spielberg. (laughs) It is The Fablemans.
1: Yes. And we're gonna have, have guests on for that one. I haven't seen. We it. are.
0: Oh, okay. Did you see it? So yes, I have. Okay. Um, do me a favor. Yeah. Watch, The Last Crusade, and The Fablements.
1: Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Yes. Those two.
0: Yes, please. Okay,
1: I think I can squeeze that in. Okay. All right. Um. So, it, look, folks, it's a Sunday night. I'm still not. On my sleep schedule, that Italy trip screwed me up. Sorry, Matt. I know you I, – I, look, Mixtape Podcast. I got it. <laughs> um, I know we're doing another film next week. Totally forgot about that one. You'll just have to excuse me right now. Give me a couple more weeks. I'll be back.
0: Tomorrow. Oh, and we're also doing – yes, we're also doing another film. Oh, we are? Yeah. Oh, on we Thursday, are Breaking back. That's right. Yeah. We're recording uh, Argento's Dracula.
1: Boy, this, this last
0: July's, like, uh, July's, uh, breaking bread that's in August. We're, you know, we took a brunt off from doing breaking bread. I know. Sue us if you want to. I feel like uh, those
1: last 10 minutes have just gone downhill and we, yeah. and people are going to be like, why are you even podcasting? You guys are ignorant.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not wrong. And it wasn't for the last 10 minutes either. Uh, yeah. So oh, we're going to do that. So you should be hearing that episode soon as well.
1: Okay. Yes. We're doing Argento. I'm excited
0: are you i
1: yes i am i'm excited to hear your thoughts on this movie (laughs) uh and i'm excited to talk about the next breaking brad too so yeah there's a whole debate on what we're doing but you know we'll we'll have to decide before the next recording okay enough of rambling i don't know if you're listening in the morning the afternoon or evening thank you for downloading the episode a big thank you uh thanks for sticking around the last 10 minutes of this little (laughs) shit show that's going on join us next week when we have a guest a very special guest jump on and talk about steven spielberg's the fablemans we'll see you then.
0: don't lose your head